Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we're discussing a A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. It's the first book in her All Souls trilogy. So I will start out with our characters, locations, and pertinent information, and then Vicki will follow up with our plot. So we're going to start with our locations first. So when this book opens, it's set at the University of Oxford in England, and specifically a lot of time is spent in the Bodleian Library, which is the main research library at the University of Oxford and is one of the oldest libraries in Europe. This book also um, takes our characters to France. So we visit Septors, which is Matthew's home in the middle of France. And then we also visit Madison in upstate New York, which is where our main character's aunt lives. Um, Just some information about the, the people in this book. So we have humans, and then we also have creatures. So the creatures are gonna be witches, vampires, and demons. And the creatures are are under the governing body of the congregation. So when I mention the congregation, that means their their governance. It's made up of three witches, three demons, and three vampires. So I'll introduce our characters next. I'm going to divide them into what they are in terms of creature. So we'll start with our witches. We have... Our main character, Dr. Diana Bishop, she is a history professor with a focus in alchemy. She was born to Rebecca Bishop and Stephen Proctor, who were immensely powerful witches and who were murdered while on a trip to Africa when Diana was seven. Since their deaths, Diana has mostly stayed away from using magic and she saves it for special circumstances like when her washing machine is on the fritz and she largely feels guilty about using magic at all. Then we have Sarah Bishop, who is Diana's aunt and her guardian after her parents passed away. She's described as having a mass of fiery red hair and a temper to match. We have Emily, who is Sarah's partner and was Diana's mother's best friend. She is essentially another aunt to Diana, um, and she helped raise Diana after her parents died. We have Jillian Chamberlain who is an American witch who is studying at Oxford and a fellow academic. We have Peter Knox, who is a very powerful witch and a member of the congregation. He's described as being an expert on the occult and is sometimes consulted by law enforcement. He's generally really unpleasant and pushy and he comes off as being kind of entitled. And we have Satu Yarvanen, who's Finnish. She's also a witch and she is very powerful. She's able to fly and she's affiliated with Peter Knox. That brings us to our vampires. So we have Matthew Claremont. He is the main character's love interest in this story. He's a professor of biochemistry, very interested in science, works as a doctor some. He's super old and gorgeous, prone to mood swings. He's a wine connoisseur and he is also super protective. 
We have Marcus Whitmore, who's Matthew's associate. He works in Matthew's research lab and is also his son. So Matthew made Marcus into a vampire. He worked as a healer during the Revolutionary War, and he still has an affinity for patient care. He's very energetic and where other vampires tend to be quite serious and reserved. Marcus is a bit more uh, bright and lighthearted and energetic. Uplifting. We have Miriam Shepard, who is also Matthew's associate and who also works in his research lab. She is quite serious and a little bit scary to start with, especially toward our main character, but she warms up a little bit as the story progresses. We have Isabeau de Clermont, who is Matthew's mother. She's described as being the personification of terrifying elegance. She does not like witches. We have Marta, who works for Isabeau, and she's described as being in her 60s, which is unique for vampires. She is caring and kind, but fierce when she needs to be. There's Domenico Michelle, who is a vampire. He's Venetian and a member of the congregation. We have Joubert de Aurelac, who is an ancient vampire. He's also a member of the congregation. He gives out major creep vibes. And we have Baldwin Montclair, who is Matthew's older brother and the head of the de Clermont house. He and Matthew generally do not get along. Which bring, and that brings us to our demons. So we have Agatha Wilson, who's an Australian fashion designer and a member of the congregation. We have Sophie and Nathaniel Wilson. Nathaniel is Agatha's son and Sophie is his wife. Sophie was born of witch heritage. Her parents are both witches, but she's a demon. She, uh, when we meet her in the story, she's five months pregnant. And then we have Hamish Osborne, who is, uh, a, he's a financial genius, basically. He's super charismatic, and he's Matthew's best friend and someone that Matthew confides in. And that brings us to our plot. Vicki, do you want to pick it up? Sure. So our book opens with our main female lead, Dr. Diana Bishop, obtaining manuscripts at the library. She is looking for manuscripts regarding alchemy, and she experiences a strange sensation when she touches one of the manuscripts. While leaving the library, she encounters a fellow witch, Jillian, who invites her to celebrate the autumn equinox and has apparently been trying to convince Diana to join a coven for some time, but Diana is not interested. Diana's father was a time walker and her mother was a powerful witch, but her mother's magic sometimes scared her as a child. And when she was seven, both of her parents were killed on a trip to Africa. Diana blamed magic. When her aunt tried to teach her basic magic, she was unable to perform even simple spells. That combined with her wariness of the supernatural caused her to pursue an academic path. She eventually decided on a history major and then obtained her doctorate at Oxford with a specialty in 17th century chemistry. From there, she obtained tenure at Yale, wrote two books, and won a few awards. She is now back at Oxford for a conference and doing additional research, which is how she finds herself in possession of the strange manuscript, Ashmole 782. While examining the ma manuscript, she can feel magic in it. She also finds that every illustration in the manuscript has at least one fundamental flaw that contradicts her knowledge of alchemy. Somewhat bothered by this, Diana decides to return the manuscript to the library. On the eve of the autumn equinox, she's alone in the library and uses magic for the fifth time that year. 
Unfortunately, she is seen by a vampire. She attempts to run, but is caught, and the vampire introduces himself as Matthew Claremont, a professor of biochemistry who invites Diana to dinner. She quickly de declines and leaves. Later that night, she makes a call to her aunt Sarah and her partner Emily, who both tell her they have a sense of foreboding and recently, and they warn her to stay away from Matthew. Diana soon finds herself being followed by various supernatural creatures, including vampires, demons, and witches. They are following her due to her connection with Ashmole 782. Matthew tells Diana to be careful and that she needs to find the manuscript again. Later, Diana is approached by a demon, Agatha Wilson. Agatha tells Diana that Ashmole 782 explains the story of supernatural creatures, their beginning, middle, and end. She asks Diana that when she finds the book again, to remember that demons deserve to know their story too. Diana agrees. Matthew goes to visit an old friend, Hamish Osborne, a demon. He tells Hamish about Diana and how she shimmers when she's angry or lost in work, which is a rare trait and sign of powerful magic. Hamish advises Matthew to stay away from Diana and the manuscript, but Di Matthew refuses and admits he is craving her. Meanwhile, back at Oxford, Diana is approached by Jillian, who informs her that her parents' death was not due to human interference, but rather by other witches. She subtly threatens Diana that she might suffer the same fate. Later, Diana is formally introduced to Peter Knox, another witch. He interrogates her about Ashmole 782, patronizes her, and tells her that she needs to stop seeing Matthew. When she asks him what his interest is in the manuscript, he tells her that the manuscript belongs to the witches and that they are the only ones who can understand it. Matthew invites Diana to see his laboratory where she meets Marcus Whitmore and Miriam Shepard. Matthew tells her that he has been studying the genetics of vampires, witches, and demons because each creature is getting weaker. Vampire's blood is no longer strong enough to turn humans, witches' power is weakening with each generation, and demons are more prone to madness. Diana agrees to provide a blood sample. The next day, Diana unsuccessfully attempts to recall Ashmold 782 from the library with Matthew. Peter Knox is there as well, and he approaches Diana, threatens her, and calls her a traitor for being involved with Matthew. When Diana returns to her room, she has mail that turns out to be a photograph of her parents' murder scene and the word remember on the back. Matthew is furious, but is distracted by Marcus, who has the results of her blood sample, which are surprising and Matthew decides not to tell Diana the results yet. Matthew tells Marcus that he will be taking Diana to Septor. Marcus objects because Matthew's mother, Isabeau, hates witches, brags about killing witches, and struggles with her sanity. Matthew dismisses Marcus's concerns. Before they leave, Diana begins exhibiting new signs of magic. She is able to produce witch wind and sparks in her fingers, but none of it is done consciously. When they arrive at Septor, Diana receives a less than warm welcome, but Matthew makes sure everyone is civil. He shows Diana her DNA results, which shows that she inherited the genetic predeposition for all powers. He also reveals to her that she has all four of the elemental markers. Additionally, she has markers they were unable to identify. They are able to spend a few days without incident, studying, exploring, and writing, but that comes to an end when an old acquaintance of Matthew's appears, Domenico. He reveals that it is forbidden for vampires and witches to be in a relationship. Domenico tells Diana that she must leave and no longer associate with Matthew or any of his family. Isabeau and Diana go inside and she asks Diana not to take things any further with Matthew, to refuse him and not break the covenant because it will get him killed. 
However, she doesn't need to worry about that because when Matthew returns, he tells Diana they will not break the covenant and they will return to Oxford. They argue Diana confesses her love to him, but he gets a call regarding a break-in at his lab and he leaves for Oxford alone. In her grief, Diana accidentally summons Witchwater, nearly killing herself. Matthew's mother and Marta manage to save her and after returning her body to normal temperature, they leave her in Matthew's study. Diana decides to snoop around and discover that the Knights of Lazarus is real, currently functioning, and that in the 1300s, they absorbed the Templars. Of course, Matthew is part of the order. When Matthew returns from Oxford, he has had a change of heart. He tells Diana that he loves her, reminds her of the dangers of loving him and being involved with the vampire, and asks Diana if she is sure of her decision. She assures him that she is confident in her choice. Matthew explains that he and Diana are now essentially married in vampire custom. They spend time learning about each other, but one morning Diana leaves Matthew sleeping in bed. She goes to the stables and is quickly whisked away by a witch, Satu. Satu confirms that witches did kill Diana's parents. She begins asking Diana questions and when Diana refuses to answer, she tortures her. However, guided by her mother's voice, Diana is able to resist telling her anything. Between Diana's memories, stories told by her mother and Matthew's family, they put together that Diana is spellbound. Her magic was kept from her deliberately. She is able to access her magic enough to help her fly and Matthew and his brother Baldwin take her back to Septor. However, they know that the only people who can help Diana with her powers are other witches and they go to stay with her aunt Sarah and her partner Emily in upstate New York. While there, Diana works on uncovering her powers and the house begins to reveal some secrets. An old note from Diana's mother appears, and with it, one of the missing pages from Ashmole 782. The page depicts part of the process in making a philosopher's stone, in this case, marriage. The illustration seems to align with Diana and Matthew. There is an additional note from her father that indicates Diana should attempt going into the past to get Ashmole 782. While they digest this information, Matthew gets a call from Marcus who tells him that he and Miriam are on their way because they have important information that cannot be shared over the phone. When they arrive, the atmosphere is tense. Matthew clearly does not want them there, but Marcus has more of Diana's results. The results suggest that due to her genetics, Diana might be capable of having children with a vampire. Additionally, Miriam tells them that, that by remaining in a relationship, Diana and Matthew risk war. While Diana and Matthew take a walk, they are ambushed by a vampire, Juliet. She is Matthew's ex and is bad news. She cuts his throat and almost tears his heart out from his chest before Diana stops her with witchfire. However, Matthew is fatally wounded. Can Diana save him? Will they be able to find Ashmole 782 in the past? You'll need to read the book or keep listening to find out. There are spoilers ahead. What did you think of this book, Vicki? I enjoyed this book quite a bit. The um, Some of the imagery in this book is just gorgeous. I love it. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so some of my favorites um, were the ribbon uh, imagery yeah. when uh, Diana is learning, I guess, that she's spellbound, right? And her mother is telling her that story of being of the pr princess or witch. No, the witch being all wrapped up mm -hmm. in ribbons. And I loved that imagery. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I loved, I mean, just all of it. I just loved all of it. 
there were so many times when I wanted to stop and text you and just be like, I just love the way this is written. Mm-hmm. Author puts words together so beautifully. And the imagery that she creates is lovely. Like um, when Diana uses Witchwater after Matthew leaves, like I could see it and I could feel it. And it, it was just so vivid the way it was described. And then um, like the beginning of chapter 40, uh, it's when, so they're in Madison and fall is arriving and they're talking about Sophie is carving pumpkins. Like I could see fall and I could feel fall. I love it here. Like just in general, when authors write about that, that season fall, cause it's my favorite, but like she started talking about carving pumpkins and the change in the season. And I could just, I could feel it and I could see it and I could smell it. She writes beautifully. She does. And like you said, you can feel the emotions and stuff yes. with the characters too. So, and the way, so here's another example, because this was, um, it wasn't one of my quotes, it's just something that really stood out to me. Um, so Diana's father is talking to Diana about her mother. This is obviously before they were murdered. Uh, Mommy's got a firecracker inside her. But firecrackers, I learned, were not simply bright and lively. They were unpredictable and they could startle and frighten you too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. The, it, uh, I just love it. And then she goes on to the story about how her mother scared her. But mm-hmm. I just loved that analogy, um, contradiction, contradiction with it. T- it is just. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting that so I've seen this happen in like almost every vampire thing ever I feel like um Matthew coming in through her window while she sleeps right Mm -hmm. this seems to be like I mean so Twilight's like really famous for it but it happened in Buffy a whole bunch it happened like in the actual book Dracula and I just wonder where that like I guess like vampire canon came in that they fly in through your window and watch you sleep sort of thing yeah where did that come from I don't know I feel like that's not the case in all instances of vampire with the vampires though because they can't come into your house unless you invite them in right but once they're invited in because like in Buffy right she invites them in and then well that they watch her right Mm -hmm. a couple vampires or they watch I think Angel watched her from the window So I like this book because I learn new words. It's like getting a vocabulary lesson when you're reading. And that's one of the things I really like about the Kindle is that when I run into a new word, um, you can hold your finger over it and it'll give you the the definition of it. Um, I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Vocabulary just rose um, there are a couple of words in here that are really good words that I hadn't heard before I, I started reading this so palimpsest is one of them oubliette that was another one I'd never heard of an oubliette before mm-hmm. um, but I I like the the way that Ashmole 782 is described and specifically the description of it being a palimpsest so a book within a book and I think it's a unique because she then goes on to compare uh Matthew's skin to being a palimpsest mm-hmm. with its scars in the history and you can only see it in the if the the light hits it just right and it's not immediately visible 
she brings things back a lot like with that she also brought back the firecracker analogy later on when uh, Matthew's talking about Diana's fingers yes yeah she also brings back the fray uh, the the idea of protecting the queen right so we're first introduced to that when Matthew and Hamish play chess and Matthew loses all of his pieces are surrounding the queen and he's left his king completely exposed and it gets taken by a pawn um, and Hamish says basically you'll never win at chess if you only protect your queen that's your downfalls just protecting the queen and Isabeau brings that back up to him later about just protecting the queen and I think she she uses a chess analogy then too um, but this that that comes up several times in the book and it's really nice to see that revisited especially because that translates to how Matthew treats Diana mm -hmm. right so he's constant like he's so I think we could probably call it overprotective of her he's very territorial um, very driven to protect her and is that way for the entire book up until the end when she nearly dies trying to save him. And he's a little bit like, after she starts to recover, I think it's like the next day maybe, she gets up and she starts moving around and he's still um, aware of her and helpful to her, but he's not, he's not so driven by the need to protect her. And he says it's because he realized when they were, they get when they're attacked by Juliet, he realized that she was able to defend herself um, and it's really nice to see him kind of have that realization where from the beginning he was so uh, overly protective to at the end recognizing that his partner is capable of taking care of herself we've seen him like recognize that she can take care of herself in like um I think emotional sort of or mm -hmm. verbal confrontations where yep. he does take the backseat already so he knew that already too mm -hmm. and you can see that reflected in the book where she when she has issues with Knox mm -hmm. um he lets her handle it her own way but is there mm -hmm. for support if she needs it and like their first encounter um he's a very imposing figure you know people don't just like look him straight in the eye he's the type of person who you would look at and look away from because he's threatening he's like top of the food chain and diana meets him and doesn't back down and when she encounters people who are threatening like peter knox and he's present he's there to offer support if she needs it but he doesn't try to jump in and and i like that he's a good male mm -hmm. <laughs> Except for those mood swings yeah except for the mood swings and that initial story in the beginning when diane is fishing for information about him from her friend chris and he's like uh he seems like a or he something happens with a woman and he's like disrespectful to another female or something yeah i so was we get a negative impression initially <laughs> i know well especially because then like so she hears that and then she goes to breakfast with him and like he has these major mood swings mm -hmm. right I would not have gone back <laughs> that was like, after hearing about like you know whatever happened at the conference you know that happened with other women um and then like eating with him or well eating while he watches um and ha him having like <laughs> mood swings I'd be like this is this is too much work <laughs> yeah too, too much <laughs> this is 
I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. I would never get past breakfast with him. <laughs> he is very moody. Mm-hmm. He mellows out a little bit near the end of the book, but to begin with, it's very like his emotions just like turn on a dime. Yeah. You'd think after like being alive for 1500 years, mm-hmm. he'd handle those emotions better. Yeah. But no, no, he doesn't. Do you think it's, do you think he's like that with everybody or do you think he's like that with Diana? Because there are some things about Diana, uh, just like her, the nature of her. So she talks about how she gets these fits of like adrenaline, Mm -hmm. right? She has these uncontrollable adrenaline rushes, which to a predator would make her like very appealing in terms of prey. So do you feel like, do you think he's maybe a little moodier with Diana just because of the nature of how and who she is? Um, or is he like, you think he's a jerk with everybody? Well, he seems to be more more of a jerk with her in terms <laughs> of the moodiness, but we've definitely seen him with the temper and with like mm-hmm. changing like throughout the book um up until sort of the end when he chills out a yeah. little bit um but because he was with um you know his mom um as well yeah there were a few times he's just a moody dude yeah um so when agatha approaches her mm-hmm. at the coffee house it's a coffee house right yeah i guess so I I pictured a coffee Close house. Enough, yes, probably. And she tells her like we deserve like demons deserve to know our like where we came from too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I know demons. I feel so bad for them, <laughs> right? Because they are the only ones who don't. I mean, I guess do they go into vampire lore like the first vampire in this? Not really. So they don't necessarily know who the first vampire is, but they know how vampires are made. They know witches. Um, it's a hereditary thing, right? Yeah. And then, but demons, where they yeah. come from? There's no There's, like rhyme yeah. or reason to it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so chaotic. I just want to bring the little chaotic things home and give them a mm. hug and tell them it's going to be okay. Right. I feel like they're like geniuses, but then they're also prone, like they could go crazy. Yeah, prone to psychosis too. <laughs> That's typically how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, I guess so. Yes. If you could be any of them, a vampire, a witch, or a demon, what would you want to be? Mm. I don't know. I'm going to say... Which, which, why which? She choose, huh? Well, I I was just thinking. You know, we've talked about how vampires tend to live for really long periods of time, mm-hmm. and also the drinking of the blood. I just don't, and also food doesn't taste good anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would enjoy living for really long periods of time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would enjoy eating blood or hunting. I would feel really bad about it. <laughs> and I really like the way food tastes. So 
and I like I really I've wanted to be magic for the my entire life so probably which what about you what would you choose was that good enough reasoning are those good reasons <laughs> to be a witch I don't know I, I don't want to eat people well, I wasn't sure the other option was demon I don't know why you left demon out um, um I'm too uh too much of a and I'm trying to let go of this a little bit but too much of a control freak to embrace a life of chaos so um naturally I picked demon when I was thinking about it <laughs> why would you choose demon um they just seem the most interesting to me good. Yep. anyway um probably like one of the more fun ones to be um you got some mystery behind you there too and you know chaos yeah I will say the demons certainly seem a lot more open right uh, they seem happier open in general yeah compared with both vampires and witches and I don't love um the coven politics that we read in this book like I understand why Diana was like no I don't want to come to your celebration I think I'm just going to be by myself um because the the covens in this story are very um what pushy they're it, it's almost like bullying it kind of feels mm-hmm. like cult mentality like if you're not with us you're against us right yeah that's definitely a turn off for me to be which i don't groups <laughs> having to be involved in a group that's a turn maybe off. i should re maybe i should rethink it not in terms of wanting to eat but in terms of my actual personality <laughs> in which case i would probably go with a vampire because i don't like being around people <laughs> <laughs> and i would have all of the time in the world to read as many books as i wanted so well, that's a good reason demons live a long time too don't they i'm not really sure i mean even witches though they i think in the story have a longer lifetime than is typical of a human yeah um yeah def- definitely demon because i don't want to have to drink blood i don't want to have to be part of a group um like that uh so i feel like you could it'd be more that'd be the most fun one to be there you go assuming that i don't descend into madness yeah you made a note about the yoga class i did um, whenever I've done yoga, right. So I've gone to a couple of yoga classes and they've been great. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but they tell you to like lay down, close your eyes or relax. As soon as I'm told to like close my eyes, I can't do it. You can't, I can't keep my eyes closed. <laughs> like then I'm like, well, no, like I, <laughs> I can't You're close so them. defiant. <laughs> No, you're not the boss of me. I'm not going to I, like, all of a sudden, I, like, can't remember how to keep my eyes closed. <laughs> and then it's, like, breathe deeply. And I'm, like, wait, how do I breathe? How do I breathe? <laughs> well, I can't keep my eyes closed and breathe, clearly. I really enjoyed the scene with the, the, super mat, the supernatural yoga class with all the creatures. I thought it was super well written. I would love to go to a class like that. Yeah. Uh, what would that be to attend that would be awesome that's another one where the imagery and stuff i love, like they um some what a couple of them were floating mm-hmm. right i thought that was and then when they described um or when she described 
you know, Matthew being just completely still, like the vampires, their mm-hmm. stillness and stuff. Again, awesome descriptions. Yeah. Um, you could really picture it in my head. Yeah. It was really nice. I like the I like the attentiveness that the yoga instructor has for her class. So she she asks some people who are floating to ground themselves. She in the end, when Diana get a, has that same response kind of that you have, where she gets into Shavasana um, in like a corpse pose and suddenly like it's not working for her. She can't focus. She's too aware of her body. It's not she can't do it. Um, her teacher has this intuitiveness. Um, it's just part of her abilities. And she's like, no, she repositions Diana. She says, this pose is not for you. She repositions her like in the fetal position on her side. And I feel like as a yoga instructor, like you have to have a little bit of intuitiveness, uh, which develops over time, you know, and with exposure and teaching. Um, but it, it helps to have a little bit of intuitiveness or just an awareness of what's happening with your students or your participants and how they're feeling. And a lot of times you can perceive that from just nonverbal cues. Maybe, I don't know, maybe yoga instructors just in general have their own sort of magic. When Matthew, so Matthew goes to Scotland to see Hamish, he has to get away from Diana Um, because he he just feels conflicted about what to do and he starts talking with Hamish about his concerns over becoming close to her and killing her because that's happened before he killed another woman on accident her name was Eleanor and Hamish asks when it happens and Matthew says ages ago yesterday what does it matter and that I think is a really interesting statement. I can't, I don't know if you're like this, but some part of me likes to just dredge up like every mistake that I've ever made in my entire life and reflect on it. And then I feel like garbage afterward. (laughs) Um, Does that happen with you? Yep. Like I'm trying to sleep and my brain goes, Hey, remember that time when you were 10? Mm-hmm. and you said something stupid in class yeah I remember yeah. <laughs> I'm like well not gonna be able to sleep from tonight yeah yeah, yeah. so take I can't I just can't imagine how hard it must be for someone like Matthew to have I mean, he's been alive for 1500 years and have your brain do that to you mm-hmm. you've got 1500 years of mistakes and fumbles And especially in this case where someone ends up dying, someone that you love ends up dying as a result. Oh, it would crush me. I mean, it's so like, no wonder he's so grumpy, you know, Mm -hmm. about the prospect of having new love or at this point, even just acknowledging that he might like someone like the fear of mortally wounding that person. Yeah. Mm. So this becomes a little bit of a, of an issue between them she he kills Jillian and doesn't tell Diana about it she finds out from Satu when she's being tortured yes people we've seen this a lot and we talked about it last week with um characters withholding information from other characters mm-hmm. like this uh, especially the male characters from their 
Mm-hmm. They're romantic partners. And in this, he withholds that information about Jillian. He withholds her DNA results. He withholds all the information about uh, the um, covenant, mm-hmm. right? So I wasn't thrilled with yeah. any of that, you know? Yes. Be, be open with your partner and Marcus though go Marcus for yes. being like you need to tell her about mm-hmm. her DNA results and you need to tell her about everything yeah. and Matthew's just like I'll tell her in time it's like yeah. tell her now so I agree sort of mm-hmm. I do think he did the right thing with the DNA results and not telling her immediately yeah because she at that point was in such shock that she had to be medicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really an appropriate time to start introducing shocking new information like that. He does tell her, mm-hmm. um, and it's shortly after that that he shares that information with her. So I think that in terms of sharing her DNA information, um, I think that he did the I think he did handled that situation well and not telling her immediately but shortly after but he definitely should have shared the information about Jillian sooner and Hamish brings this up a little bit too I think it's he's got I mean he's got 1500 years of secrets to share yeah and so and he's been only he doesn't share his secrets with people and so if you've been alive for that long I can understand that it would be hard to start sharing information with someone else these the scene where she like confesses all of her feelings and they get in an argument and stuff is this it's right in front of his mom and yeah uh, i would feel so uncomfortable so awkward (laughs) i was like why don't she all like take this to another room and like they don't leave either like his mom and uh martha martha don't leave they just stay and watch popcorn it's a popcorn (laughs) I do. Around <laughs> I do like at one point he was like you can't love me you've known me for a couple weeks um and I was like that's that's solid point he's got there yeah um, yes but he he also loves her so right yeah I really enjoyed the dinner they had where she made him like sh- like raw stuff gave him a lot of um raw meat and like barely cooked stuff and then with the nuts um as well I love that she called the zoology department yeah (laughs) yes that was so great yes (laughs) and I like it made me laugh where they're like don't feed them (laughs) that's how they ended the conversation was but don't feed them this is what they eat but please don't feed them they're dangerous yep there's a lot of smells in this book I wondered if that would excite you. That's always your thing. It did. I was like, oh, sense, but you already put the note in. So by the time I got to all the sense, you beat me to it. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I knew you would get excited. So I put, I didn't put all of them down. <laughs> no, I know. There were a lot. There were like, so many. Well, and a lot of like, a lot of what happen, happens with bi- vampires, a lot of their, you know, that heightened sense that goes into being able to smell differences and, people and things like that so yeah well not even just like people sense in this like the wine they oh yeah like the sense described from the wine I just 
Did I it make you want to drink? It it made me want yes, it because I when I drink wine, I don't taste anything but meh. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I have never had wine and been like, mm, I can taste like lavender yeah right and rocks did you say that's what she says at one point she says it tastes like raspberries and i think it's raspberries and rocks (laughs) yeah so i have never tasted anything in wine all wine tastes the same i'm like april from parks and rec when it comes to wine Mm -hmm. you watch parks and rec right yeah you seen that episode i don't remember it they go to like a wine tasting thing or like a wine competition and April's there and she's like, I think we can all agree that all wine tastes exactly the same. And if you spend more than $8 for a bottle of wine, like you're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. All wine tastes the same. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because we don't have the funds to buy really good wine. Like, <laughs> like centuries pulling old. out bottles of wine from the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe that's it. It made me want, like I read this and I thought maybe I should try to drink better wine than the crappy $6 bottles that I buy. (laughs) And then I thought he would judge me. (laughs) Matthew would look at this garbage and spit it out. (laughs) Oh my God. Could you imagine? Imagine if she didn't like wine. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's so important to him, it right? Is. Yeah. He brings it. Like if she was just like if she took a sip and was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't like wine. You have any nope. like, I don't know, their beer?" Has <laughs> 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 exactly. You want some roast mutton to go with that? Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think I could hang really no pretend also with the amount of wine they drink at a meal I could not hang I would be under the table I know between (laughs) that and my like not particularly enjoying wine Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't yeah I mean after a certain point you stop tasting it I guess when you drink (laughs) so much you know yeah and then it all just becomes that's the other thing can't feel anything period so <laughs> they drink like you know all of this wine and they can still taste like the differences but by the end of the meal I don't believe it well I don't believe it I mean if you drink this much wine much wine regularly it's probably not an issue for you we, we don't really drink much since we're not in college anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's true and even then all we drank was garbage so <laughs> and now we still drink garbage garbage now we wine. still drink garbage <laughs> just never we never got you know we can afford more we just don't know how to buy wine so <laughs> yeah we need a 1500 year old vampire to take us to the liquor store mm-hmm. honestly the gossip chain amongst the creatures is truly astounding <laughs> Like Diana recalls the book. There's like one person in the library. Suddenly everybody knows about it. And the library is flooded with creatures. Um, Diana has this really fantastic moment. And it happens when uh, Matthew's out of town. 
and Miriam is kind of chaperoning her around, but she confronts all of the creatures in the library and she's like, okay, y'all got to get out of here. This is like the whole point with creatures is that you can't, you're not supposed to congregate in large groups in public because the humans will notice because there's no way not to notice. And that's what they're doing. But she's so like authoritative. She like identifies the leaders and says, you have to get all of these people out of here. And they do it. Even Peter Knox is like, okay. Like, I just love how she puts on her authoritative pants periodically. And it's just so fantastic. She's very, I mean, she just, I don't know. I don't know what it is about her. Like, it seems like everyone in this book expects her to cower and be fearful. And she's like, looking people in the eye and not afraid and standing up for herself and I just love it she's maybe she's just empowered yeah confident she's confident yeah and well she should be I mean think about where she is in her career in her life she graduated high school early Mm -hmm. right she which means she graduated college early and then now she's in what her 30s and she has tenure at Yale yeah like you should be confident you know definitely she she and it takes a certain level of confidence to get to that point to begin with and she talks about so she's giving the speech at the conference right so that's why she's even there mm-hmm. right and it never seems like she's actually nervous about the speech she's like I don't really know what I'm gonna talk about mm-hmm. but the way that I read it she's still confident about speaking right like, I don't think she'd be a, like, shy public speaker. There doesn't seem to be anything where she's like, oh, I have to get in front of these people. It's more like, oh, what am I going to talk to them about? Yeah. So when this is when she's kind of sleeping off her traumatic uh, event of seeing her parents' picture, right? Matthew is with her and he thinks about um, being lost or, you know, something along those lines. And she responds you're not lost. I found you and I'm brave enough for the both of us. And just, oh, no, my heart. Yeah. I mean, there's also the whole like reading his mind thing, but we're going to put it on the back burner because, oh, my heart. (laughs) I I love that you're not lost. I found you. And especially because she's the younger one Mm -hmm. of them, you know, by like, I don't know, 14. 1,870 years. Yeah. Right? (laughs) (laughs) By a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So that she's, and it kind of goes back to the confidence too that we were just talking about. But I I love that. So I made this comment in here. So before I read this book, I was reading, like, I read, like, I don't know, I think two of those really smutty alien books. Nice right which which ones (laughs) there was I don't know they're all the same they are all the same I really (laughs) no it was hope something or other oh and like hope presley or hope I I don't know yeah I read one by presley I can't remember yeah anyway so I read two (laughs) and so I get to this and I'm like 50% through this like 500 or 600 page book and they've kissed like barely once <laughs> and I'm like what is happening like 20% into the last two books I've read they were like on it 
<laughs> but I, you have a note under it and I, I, I do agree with your note. I just came off of uh, right. a binge. Well, used to. <laughs> <laughs> but you should. <laughs> yes. but I do agree with what you say. Um, yes. I so I really like the slow burn that Harkness writes for these characters, especially it with the context of how time must pass when you're a vampire. So it, it must feel, I mean, when your life is endless, like the passage of time has to feel very strange. And so Matthew's intimate moments with Diana are like a good representation of how he views or has been affected by that, that change in, or that uh, different perspective on how time moves. And so Diana tries to like rush things. Uh, but for like humans, for us, it's not really like rushing things. We have a finite lifespan. And so we would probably consider how her movement with things like normal pacing. And Matthew repeatedly says like, we have the time, we have the time, we have the time. And so he, he wants to savor and appreciate his moments with her. Like he savors and appreciates his wine. He, you know, he takes the time to note the scent and the flavors and the way that her skin feels and the way that she smells and her texture. And that like, he repeatedly talks about her hair and how colorful it is and how textured it is. And he's constantly touching it. And I think it's really sweet um, to take that, that time to appreciate all of those. Like, I feel like those are maybe aspects that we as humans might take for advantage. Mm-hmm. I agree. It is really sweet. I just think it's kind of funny that like they had, I think like two moments where they could have been together mm-hmm. and then that was it in the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> they kept being like, there'll be time, there'll be time, but then they never actually do have the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, there is no time and then <laughs> they halfway make the time once and she gets kidnapped so. right <laughs> I felt so uh, so the one time he falls asleep his yeah. wife gets kidnapped <laughs> oh and let's talk about the whole wife thing they like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so she declares her love for him okay mm-hmm. he leaves comes back drives like gets into the driveway and he's like I love you they kiss bam married (laughs) and he drops it on her like he doesn't announce that they're married he said like he he makes it he says like this is it there's nobody else this is this is you're gonna have to do what I say going forward and she's like okay and then he casually he he drops like the my wife Mm -hmm. he calls her my wife and she's like um did we get married? <laughs> uh, so when they're looking at books um, and they're talking about, I guess, questions, um, Matthew says the only question worth asking is the why and how we're all here, which is one of the reasons he really wants the Ashmole 782. And I don't necessarily think that that's really the only question worth asking, but it's something that can't that doesn't have an answer right so everyone is still looking for that answer you know that's why kind of why we have religion a lot of religions are to answer that question um so I thought that was an interesting moment 
Mm -hmm. I'm saying that's the only question worth asking. And I wonder if part of it with him saying is the only question worth asking is because he also knows the answer to a lot of other questions (laughs) as well. Right. But yeah, it's a question that really can't be answered. Um, I guess unless you have Ashmole 782 or you make up your own reason as to how and why we're here, right? Um, That's just as valid. Um, But yeah, if that's what he's fixated on though for thousands, for a thousand years, that's gotta be like, that would drive me crazy. Fixated on like one question that I can't get the answer to, even though I know where the answer is. Mm-hmm. Oh. Be like having an itch you can't scratch. Exactly. Like in cupidity. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yes. I was just thinking that when she's mm-hmm. finally able to scratch that itch, she knows where it is. She can feel it and can't do anything about it. Oh. Yeah. Yes. So after the witch water happens, um, Diana needs to be carried upstairs. And Matthew's mother makes a comment about like, why did he put so many stairs and why are there two flights of it? Right. Mm -hmm. And Martha um, says that he does it to make things. um... Wait, where is, did I have the exact quote? Yeah. He does it to make things harder. Okay. Always does. Um, He does things to make things harder like he always does for himself and everyone else. And that kind of made me laugh a little bit because my husband is always telling me I'm doing things the more difficult way. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of relate to that. And I'm wondering, so a lot of times when I do it, I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm just like, this is the way that I see it. I'm not seeing an easier solution, right? Like I'm just seeing this really complicated way of doing something, even if the answer is like, walk straight I'm like oh no let me walk around the car like the sofa to get there so I don't know I don't have a good example yeah (laughs) but um so I wonder if that's part of it too though he sees like point a to point b and instead of taking the most direct path he's like he's not seeing that direct path he's just seeing a way to get there but he's seeing a really convoluted way to get there yeah um and that's just make things harder yeah that could be I wonder I wondered if he was doing it to make things harder on himself because he feels like he needs to um like atone or like things can't be easy for him right yep and that thought went through my head too yeah And I wonder if he relates to Diana a little bit because he does tend to make things harder because she makes things harder for herself by not using her magic. Mm -hmm. Um, He makes the note, like, even though she is unconsciously using her magic, she actively tries not to. And so he makes a a comment about it's like she's doing things twice over um, because she doesn't want to use her magic. And so I wonder if he can relate to her in that way because she does make things harder for herself yeah i bet he can relate but he doesn't see that he relates to it yeah i think it's one of the things he doesn't i don't know why i have this feeling that he just doesn't see that he's making things harder for himself 
like whether he's unconsciously doing it because he feels that he needs to be punished for whatever or if he's just genuinely not seeing the easiest Mm -hmm. path to something yeah I don't know if he could be like oh like he's I don't know if he would see that in somebody else and recognize it right and be able to be like oh I'm like that too right thing sounds like you're describing tunnel vision a little bit Mm. Kind of like he gets focused on this one thing and can't take his attention away from it or like see the different alternatives kind of like um like with always protecting the queen or with even like his strategy for trying to rescue diana when she's been when she's been um kidnapped Um, And Baldwin comes in and he, you know, Baldwin immediately is able to look at the way that the wind was blowing and he's able to look at the, the apple core and the smells or whatever. And he can say, well, she's been taken Southwest. Um, And Matthew had spent the entire day combing the region. Um, And then Matthew's like, well, there's like one place with Javert's um, castle or hold or whatever. That's it. South and West. Um, and Baldwin is like, Matthew, you constructed every castle, but it like in France, like you, you helped build all of these things. Where would be a good hiding place in the South and the West? Um, and then even when they get to the castle where Diana has been taken, Matthew's immediately like trying to take off and search every room. And <laughs> Baldwin is like, Matthew, Stop. And think, where would you hide someone in this, in this, like you can take all of this time to search every room or you can stop and think and identify where would be the best. And and we can find her in like two minutes. So I I guess I can see what you're talking about because he does experience, like he experiences that type of behavior with like multiple situations Mm -hmm. in the book. It's a good point. Good job, Vicky. Thanks. Are you surprised? No. You sound very surprised. No, it's just that I hadn't made that connection before until you mentioned it like that. And then all of these other things kind of fell into play or like, you know, that kind of aligned with what you said and it makes sense. How did you feel about Peter Knox? Ugh, the guy was such a jerk. He sucks. Yes. Oh, oh my God. When he kept calling her doctor. Yeah. Like, sarcastic about it yeah yeah I wanted to punch him in the face same I love how she puts him in his place though she's like Mr. Knox like mm-hmm. yes girl yeah yes reminds me a little bit of that thing recently with Jill Biden right they didn't right they weren't calling her doctor mm-hmm. well it's interesting um the author of the book she's a doctor she's got or she has a doctorate mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. So I think that's reflective of that. And I, I wonder if that scene was inspired by true life, like something yeah. that happened in her life. I could very easily see that. I, I think it's interesting. We kind of talked about uh, the way that in this story, the covens with the witches, they kind of come off um, with a little bit of like a cult mentality or almost kind of like bullies and multiple witches identify themselves as not the enemy to Diana. Um, but then they behave as enemies to Diana. And I think like they either psychologically harm her, like with Jillian giving those pictures of her parents murder or like literally torturing her 
like with Satu making themselves a threat. It, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like an abusive relationship, you know, it's like, I'm not wanting to hurt you, but you're making me act this way. Right. Or they genuinely, th- I think some of them genuinely think, oh, well, we're witches. So that means that we're sisters, no matter what sort of thing um, right. as well. We're not the enemy, even though we argue, even though we torture each other. Yeah. We're still. <laughs> even though we murdered your parents, uh, <laughs> we're not your enemy. <laughs> exactly. Give us what we want and it'll be fine. As long as you do what we want you to do. Mm-hmm like a cult another reason being a demon seems like the better option well now you're making me feel bad about the answer that i chose (laughs) just want food to taste good yes be a demon then (laughs) fine i'll change my allegiance i'll be a demon i'll embrace chaos even though it stresses me out that we've talked about this a couple of times but just that whole scene where uh Diana's been left in the oubliette or even when she's being tortured by Satu and she sees her mom, her mom's ghost sitting under a tree, an apple tree. Um, mm-hmm. And her mom is like, who do we tell our, who do we keep our secrets from? And Diana's like, she says everybody. And then again in the oubliette when her mom is telling her to be brave and she's like hugging. Oh my gosh. I cried a little bit. Like it may or just anything with a mama makes me emotional but especially in this scene because it's written so well oh i felt it yeah and yeah that as weird as that sounds it's one of my favorite scenes yeah in this book i mean i know it's like a horribly depressing sort of scene but it's one of my favorites because of the imagery because she also gets i don't really i mean closure isn't the right word um, but she kind of gets to see her parents. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is nice. It's not a great situation for her to see them in. Um, you know, but she gets to, you know, her mom kind of talks to her, reminds her of the story that she told her when she was a child that's going to help her now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I just, ugh, I love that. I, I agree. This is probably one of my favorite. It's like just like such a culmination of things. It's a terrible moment for our main character, but it's such a great moment in terms of the storytelling. I really enjoyed the description of the Bishop home. Yes. Okay. And does that not remind you of Nine Realms? Yeah. Right. I guess it's a witch house thing. Yeah. Where like the house rearranges itself. It gets angry when people it doesn't like come in. They have to carefully enter the house. If they start yelling, it starts like banging the cabinets and opening doors. I love Um, it. It randomly stores things. The ghost. Like this is probably the only situation where I would be like, this is a cool haunted house. I would love any haunted house. I would not. I'm a coward. But if my house did all this stuff and it was like cool, like it was ghosts of my family and not creepy people who I don't know. I might be okay. I would probably still be scared of it a little bit, but I would be more okay with it. Even the descriptions that she uses for, I guess, the manuscripts and the illustrations, they're so vivid, right? So when the house gives up um, her mom's letter, Mm -hmm. which also has a page of the Ashmole 782, the descriptions with everything in there, just the 
how vivid um the illustration is they talk about there's the unicorn in it and um it's just again going back to her imagery and how good her writing is um yeah with it but. I really wanted to see the actual pictures I know me too <laughs> Uh, what did you think about that scene where they have the confrontation with Juliet? Ooh, okay. So several things. I felt kind of bad for Juliet because she was like supposedly like literally made for Matthew, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically the one thing she was, she failed at, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's hard. But also, why did she make a deal with a goddess? yeah <laughs> I'm reading it and I'm going I don't remember this from the first time I read it but you stupid girl <laughs> not 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 just any deal a deal with no restrictions the goddess asks what will you give me and Diana says anything like no no oh. baby, no this is not how you do this like you you oh no yeah that was just <laughs> so dumb <laughs> Like gods and goddesses are jerks. Don't promise them that. Don't try not to make a deal with them in general. Like they're going to. Yes. Mm. It will come back to bite you. It will. Okay. Let's do our quotes. So one of my quotes was what a complicated, delicate business it was going to be to love him. Diana says this about Matthew. And I just think this is a great point in general about love and loving someone. You know, obviously it may apply more to him because it's really complicated. He's got a massive past. He's got insecurities about um, who he is, but everybody has insecurities. I just thought that was a, um, this was kind of a good all encompassing quote. And my other quote is kind of funny. Um, Matthew says this, I've never liked the word mate though. It always sounds impersonal as if you're trying to mash up socks or shoes. Like, okay, he clearly hasn't read any Fae fantasy books. Like <laughs> mate is the like huge big thing, okay? <laughs> they are all about their mates in those books. They are. So I read that, I was just like, Okay, well, someone has not read A Court of Thorns and Roses. That doesn't strike me as the type of thing that Matthew de Clermont would read. <laughs> no, probably not. Well, I mean, you know, you should read all types of books, not just history books yeah. and poetry books. I also really liked this quote. It is a blessing as well as a burden to love so much that you can hurt so badly when love is gone. He suppose says this to Diana about Matthew and about um, how being a vampire has affected his life and how he periodically he gets, he experiences these things and he has to, you know, take off to separate himself from his family. And um, I really like the statement kind of like how yours was before, you know, uh, uh, about just like about being about in love in general. I feel like this is the same, the same idea here. Love is, is wonderful until you lose it and you're heartbroken and uh, I mean that speaks to the depth of your love and the the blessing that it is to be able to love but man can it hurt you have any overall final thoughts on what we've discussed well sure I this was the second time I had read this book and I forgot how fantastic like how fantastic 
this series is and how great the writing is. It's so good. Y'all, this series is so good. If you like magic and witches, you should start it. I love the storytelling and I can't wait to, I can't wait to go ahead and reread the book for next week. What are your final thoughts? Um, yeah, very similar to yours. <laughs> I forgot how much happens um, in this book and I'm sure I'll probably have forgotten how much happened in the next book, but it's beautifully written. Um, I love the characters. I really just got sucked back into this world again mm-hmm. when I read it. You know, I had a hard time putting it down, but I needed to sleep. So mm-hmm. I did put it down. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a great book. All right, that's it for this episode. Please join us next week. We'll be discussing Shadow of Night by Deborah Harkness. It's the second book in the All Souls trilogy. We're going back, going back in time. So get ready for it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.